Nå er det tid for nordisk på trikk. Welcome to our podcast featuring interviews, music, folk tales, and lots of hygge, all with a Nordic flavor. I'm your host, Eric Stavney. Welcome to this podcast in which we'll visit the National Aquarium in Bergen, Norway, which is planning to completely rebuild its facility at a new location. Now, the Seattle Aquarium, Seattle is Bergen's sister city in the United States, is also expanding, and I thought it would be interesting to learn how the plans for the two aquariums compared. In the program, we'll take a partial tour of the Bergen Aquarium with a zookeeper, and we'll talk to the director or CEO. I've been an avid fan of zoos and aquariums since I could barely walk because my parents took me to Seattle's Woodland Park Zoo when I was fairly young. And then there's the Seattle Aquarium in its current incarnation, opened in 1977 with seal and otter exhibits and big glass domes over your head that fish swam over and around. You know, I loved it and I still love it. In fact, I grew up to major in biology in college and eventually became a community college biology teacher. Now, recently I saw a great article. It was October 28, 2022, in the Pacific Northwest Magazine of the Seattle Times newspaper. It was written by Sandy Doughton, and it detailed how the Seattle Aquarium is expanding, as we mentioned, to create what they'll call the Ocean Pavilion. It's a huge exhibit space featuring sharks and rays from the tropical Pacific. In fact, it's under construction as I make this podcast. Now, the article in the Seattle Times explains that the Seattle Aquarium is owned by the city of Seattle and operated by a nonprofit. It is one of Seattle's premier attractions, no doubt. I take all my friends there when they come to town. To fund the Ocean Pavilion, money comes from public funding and private donations, about 50-50. The city of Seattle puts some money up, the county, King County puts some money, the state of Washington, even the Port of Seattle contributed. And other aquariums around the world, including the one in Bergen, Norway, have been uh, similarly supported and funded by local government and private donations. So why is the Seattle Aquarium building a shark exhibit, or more precisely, one with fish and sharks from Indonesia? Why are we focusing on species far away when traditionally the Seattle Aquarium, including the Bergen Aquarium, have focused on local ecosystems, especially those in the Salish Sea and Puget Sound? Well, sharks are big and dangerous and colorful, spectacular, and a crowd-pleaser. Many other aquariums in the United States, for example, have sharks, and they're quite the draw. But the aquarium is also trying to draw attention to a vulnerable part of the Indonesian South Pacific so that they have a platform to tell global conservation stories and how they are being affected by humans and climate change. 
the message is that we're all globally connected. So the aquarium offers entertainment and education, edutainment, if you will. One of the missions of zoos and aquariums is to educate the public. How effective is that, actually? Isn't the intent of education at the aquarium or the zoo to change visitors' behavior so that after they leave, they'll contribute more to animal conservation? Uh, they recycle more, they use less electricity, whatever the message is towards sustainable consumption, maybe they are changed by their experience. That would be the holy grail of edutainment or education. Well, we might be asking the wrong question. How can we so engage visitors that they want to be part of perhaps ongoing ocean science. You get them involved with the science, not just in conservation measures of uh, doing right as a citizen. Rather, you get them engaged in helping with, say, citizen science. This is just my idea. And in fact, I think you'll see that the Bergen Aquarium has a similar concept. Anyway, with all this in my head, I started thinking about my visit to the Bergen Aquarium in Bergen, Norway, and as you'll hear in the upcoming interview, the Bergen Aquarium was started in the 1960s, started by the Norwegian Institute of Marine Research, which occupies a large building just north of the aquarium. This uh, Havsforskningsinstitut is similar to the oceanographic arm of NOAA in the United States, the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Association, at least in my mind. And I've read that the Institute is looking to move to a new facility in the area of Bergen called Dokken, somewhat near the uh, existing Maritime Museum. The aquarium needs to move with them, with their neighbors, because they share infrastructure. Possibly it's the, the seawater pumping system that they share. And besides, they need to update the technology for their aquaria um, from the 1960s. And they are still in the permitting and fundraising process, as you'll hear. I should note that the Bergen Aquarium is really a small zoo. In addition to fish and marine mammals and birds, they also have herps, meaning reptiles and amphibians. So right off the bat, when we got inside the aquarium gates, we were met with a very enthusiastic, may I say charismatic, zookeeper named Joachim Ekeli, who has been at the aquarium, I think, over 20 years he and other zookeepers are even television stars from a three-season reality show called, appropriately, The Aquarium, 23 episodes, and, and other things. But Joaquim turned out to be excellent, enthusiastic, and down-to-earth. So we met him outside by the penguins, and there was a penguin show going on, and things were kind of busy in the background. But he began, in, to my surprise, starting talking about the importance of fish economically to Norway. Fish has sustained Norway for a very, very long time, and when fish populations have crashed, meaning there's so few fish out there that it's hardly worth going out trying to catch any, we're talking about herring and cod, that led to a lot of misery. It came about due to overfishing from ocean changes, 
and there were several population crashes and recoveries, most recently in the 1950s and 1960s. And after that, the population increased again. Fortunately, they weren't all gone. Now fishing is regulated. So Joachim explained how the absence of fish was a disaster in Norway. So we're dependent and dependent on the fjords and the fish. And of course the freshwater fish and stuff like that too. But the fjords and uh, the oceans, that's why we survived in Norway, in the coastlines. It's extremely important. And that's also what we try to show. It's the biggest protein source we have in the world. All over, it's the biggest protein source. So we need really to take care of it. And it's the, the only ecosystem that we all share. Yeah, because I'll show you a bit more of it. But we also like, we now have a lot of other stuff too. Uh, the world's get bigger. You're from the States. That's a long, long way. We didn't know that. But so, and we travel a lot and do like So we need also to know more about what you're saying. It's one world, it's one ocean. We need to, things are clicking together. So this is what Joachim says they try to show at the aquarium that the ocean is vulnerable and that he takes great pains to talk about the connectedness of living things and how they all affect each other. Near the entrance is this model of a tall ship, a bark technically, called the Statsrod Lemkul, originally a training ship uh, in the Royal Norwegian Navy with its home port in Bergen. And it's now, as I produce this podcast, sailing around the world uh, on one ocean expedition uh, for nearly two years, sampling DNA and plastics and visiting various ports and sharing knowledge and raising awareness about the ocean. It's part of the United Nations Intergovernmental Oceanographic Commission, UNESCO. It's part of their ocean literacy program. More on this later. So there was this model of the Lemkul, and I asked Joachim, I said, I, I knew about the Christian Radich. And uh, Oslo has a Christian Radich? Yeah. yeah. It's a tiny one. Oh, yeah. I love it. Okay. <laughs> this is one that wins all the races. And, uh, I see. And I more see. beautiful, of course. <laughs> it's kind of a fight between Oslo and Bergen, you know. Yeah, yeah. We should talk about the, the difficulties we have, but we also try to show a way out yes that's extreme so people don't go here and like, oh yeah. we're, we're screwed so yeah, yeah, part my French out. yeah yeah but you also go oh this is serious but hey we can do something and I as a person can do something to take care of this beautiful I suspected that Joaquin was telling his favorite biology stories as he tells school groups um, such as when we got to the Sandy Bottom exhibit showing flatfish like Turbo, similar to halibut and sole. And of course, being biology geeks ourselves, me and my wife, we started talking about how their eyes end up on one side and they swim on their sides, and we love that. And the thing about all these flatfish, they're boring as a normal fish. Yes. And then they flatten out. So uh, that's why they look turned in their face, because they are turned. You can see the beauty in them, but it's okay to harvest from nature, but you should do it respectfully and you should do it, you should know overfishing and stuff like that. Yeah, sustainably. Sustainably and no animal cruelty. 
Good point. show them respect. When you see a guy fishing mackerel and just throw it on land and let it die, it's not okay. No. Then kill it immediately, treat it with respect. You take no life, treat it with respect. So I like that, respect. And it struck me that Joaquin mixed these cool stories about fish biology with a dose of our own impact in living with nature. We catch fish, we eat fish, it sustains us, as it did in Norway, but there's a way to do it. And then the big news about the national fish. Do you know the national fish of Norway? No, I don't. What do you think? I was going to say lux, but no. Oh, cod. Oh, duh. Yeah. <laughs> it was too easy. Right? Torsk, yeah, it was like... Yeah. But actually, the cool thing is, it should have been hagfish. You know this orange slimy yeah. round mouth yeah. that produces this slime? Because it was in the radio program called Nitiman in Norway. They had, uh, they should uh, uh, say, okay, well, decide which one would be the national fish. Hmm. And then the universities all came together. It was, I think it was in the 80s, and all of them voted for hagfish. So it's one, but it wasn't accepted. Then there's the anemones. You know about the anemones there? Yeah. They look like flowers, but it's... Right. Yeah. yeah, they are like a jellyfish. They're relative to right. jellyfish. Right, the, the ones in Norway don't sting. They have glue, but they don't sting like they would hurt us. Yeah. They get hurt like... Uh, we have small. a lot of anemones that are... Yeah, yeah. we do. And Joachim took us through a door saying staff only, where we went behind the scenes. It was pretty clear that there really wasn't a very big area to look down into the many aquariums and, and clean them and take care of them from above. So here's where we prepare the food for the sea lions and the fish and the, the otters and the, the penguins. And you see that the king crab, we have a cooling. So yes. They're around six degrees now. So and every day, every year, we need to paint this and try to dry them out and stuff like that. <laughs> From the field temperature, because that's our this is our uh, that's our main force this. This water you can do low. And then it's cold and it's clean. In a lot of aquariums they make their own salt water. Or they get it from the oceans and they drive them with cars and stuff like that. But the salt water contains everything, even gold. Yes, it does. And that's just a taste of our tour with Joachim. On to meet Aslak Sverdrup, the CEO of Bergen Aquarium. So we met upstairs in a conference room, and in that Norwegian way of making guests feel comfortable, they had for us waffler and kaffe. I thought that was pretty classy. So I began by asking Aslak to talk about his background. Working here for three and a half years. My background is, I have a military background. I'm a veteran from the Special Forces. And after that, I have been working as an entrepreneur for in a company where managing projects in Norway and internationally. And I used to be the director of the airport, the CEO of the airport here in Bergen. Yeah. Until good. I started this job three and a half years ago. And my time now is divided between uh, or present and, and the future because uh, you are sitting on the kind of a historic ground here it's a aquarium that was built built and opened in 1960 the idea was uh, came out of uh, the director of the, uh, the Institute of Marine Research Gunnar Olufsen he had an idea in 1950 that uh, when they built 
their new premises, mm -hmm. uh, we should have a, a leading aquarium close to it so we can show the, all, all the fantastic things that are in the ocean and, and create uh, interest for the ocean. Yes. And gathered money from the municipality. Uh, they bought a piece of land from uh, from the municipality, and it was a crowdfunding project. Actually. Oh, no kidding! So it was people that gave ten, ten kroner and some uh, and businesses that gave uh, some thousands. And the biggest contributor was the local municipality of Bergen. First part that you have seen now is uh, the entrance, the contact aquarium down just inside there, and the rotunda. The, 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 Circle room and the area under the, underneath. Mm -hmm. That was the kind of right. basic aquarium that uh, was planned and built and uh, was finished in 1960. And on the day of uh, opening, the aquarium was given as a present to the Ministry of uh, Fishery uh, from the committee that funded it. And uh, what they uh, claimed in return was a lifelong right to use the premises. Yeah. Uh, that we still have. And then uh, the aquarium has uh, developed in different stages. That pond where the sea lions are was built in 1971. And it was birds there in the beginning. Uh, first it was Norwegian birds, and then also penguins, and then also combined. Okay. Uh, it was sea uh, seals in that small pond down there uh, for a long time. Um, mm -hmm. Now it's a combination of this what we call the the ocean tank, the fish that you have in Japan, uh, carp in the region. Okay. Uh, oh, carp? Carp. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it's carp. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and the area for the otters uh, was also quite recently developed, actually. It was finished in uh, 2018. Uh, okay. So, it has been developing over years. So, in the first stage from 1960 until 1993, it was a public company owned by the Ministry of Fish, uh, Fishing. And then, due to limited uh, resources and limited possibilities to develop. The aquarium itself wanted to be turned into a foundation so it can also uh, get funding from the outside. Is that a, then a non-profit? Yeah, yeah, we're uh, still a non-profit. Oh, you still But uh, that, at that time, it, we were a public foundation. And then the, the, law, the foundation law in Norway changed in 2002, and now we are uh, a private foundation, but not owned by anybody. So it's, it's what we call a non-profit. So all the money we, we earn here, and 95% and of what we earn, comes from uh, tickets. And we don't have any public support. We, we don't get... Uh, the government doesn't pay for our operations. Uh, we have an agreement with Bergen Kommune, the local municipality, yeah, yeah. that we, get, we let uh, kindergartens and, uh, and schools in for free. Uh, and they pay us a, a yearly uh, sum, but it's approximately 10% of the normal cost. So it's... It is a corporate social responsibility that we, we do, and we get a little bit back from it, but it's not, uh, it's not a lot of money. Uh, yeah. But we, we feel it's right anyway. We think it's uh, our task is to give young people education and learning, and also not only things that hit the brain, but also the heart, so that they can learn more about the ocean. Uh, and create that uh, empathy, interest. Empathy, interest. we say. Yeah, empathy, empathy, and also love Res for the ocean. Respect. Trick the love for, for the ocean. That is uh, what we are here for. Um, so we are a foundation today. We have a board, a, a kind of a professional board. Um, and we have also above the board that selects the board. There is a, hmm. uh, what I would call a... Um, 
board of, board of advisors. Uh, sure. They are only they only have one or two meetings here, minimum one, but normally two. Mm. Uh, and they are selected from uh, one from Bergen Kommune, from the local municipality, one from uh, Chamber of Commerce here in Bergen, one from uh, the biggest from the university, one from uh, uh, the School of Economics. So it's a it's a mix of public. Uh, chosen uh, and all, uh, appointed uh, leaders, but yeah. also some some that come from the businesses. Um, that is how the hierarchy in in uh, today's aquarium are. We are one of the big prides of Bergen. One th- a thing that mm. everybody knows. Uh, everybody has uh, been here when they were small, and small. also when they were mm-hmm. adults. Mm-hmm. Knowledge about the ocean is uh, more important than ever. I mean, the ocean is yes. uh, in trouble. Uh, we know that uh, temperature in the ocean is on the way up uh, and the prognosis are really really troubling uh, for the next 50 to 100 years it's uh, it's going to be a big difference uh, we know that plastic in the ocean is uh, yep. is a big thing that uh, people here in Norway are more and more learning and also taking action on but it's uh, what we find now in the research is that uh, plastic that enters the sea turns into microplastic and nanoplastic and that plastic goes into the food chain and it mm-hmm. uh, enters the uh, organs of fish and also into the meat and into uh, our bodies. Uh, and you can't uh, see it. You can't see it, but you can find it when you uh, sample it. It's, you know, screens through the water. Yeah. And just I read an article about two, two months ago, the first research that showed that the plastic actually can enter cells. It can. Yes. Yeah, it like can, and, and they found it. And uh, there, is a, there is a fantastic project uh, Though the, every heart that enters that island is broken, because when you when you travel to an island outside here, yeah. there is a research project with uh, all the different research institutions in uh, in and around Bergen. And Bergen is an ocean capital yes. uh, of Norway and also a big a big ocean city in the world. Uh, and um, what you can find there, because it's a kind of untouched uh, island uh, outside of where people usually travel. All the debris that has been traveling with the sea and entered that island has constructed. If you cut down through the layers of the um, of the earth, you will find first uh, 500 years when they traveled on sea, and the top layer is the modern time, and it it includes so much plastic. Most of it is actually local because and Norwegians probably think that uh, we're better than everybody else, but yeah. we're not. It comes from fisheries. It comes from uh, People on boats, they come from uh, rivers that uh, enter the sea, comes from bad culture over decades. I mean, when we were young, people dumped their uh, yeah. garbage in the woods, in the sea, didn't even think about it. Uh, today we know better. But still people, they don't uh, behave like they should. But what you can see here is the layers of the last kind of 150 to 100 years, where it's just packed with plastic. And, and support and, and uh, all the things that we don't want to enter the sea. We have all these challenges, uh, and at the same time, we know that uh, we're going to live uh, more from the ocean than we had before because it's uh, it's very efficient to produce uh, proteins in the in the ocean. What the, our neighbors now look at is uh, is a layer of proteins, which is the biggest source of protein in the world. It's called the mesopelagic layer. Okay. It travels from two hundred to two thousand meters down, and it's Basically, a lot of small fish and krill and, and uh, prawns uh, types mm. of creatures mm-hmm. that uh, live in the big oceans. We don't use that much today. Some some countries use it. China, Chinese use it. Uh, people in the Far East use this for food. 
But in Norway, it's not a common food source at all. Uh, we eat only these types of food uh, from the ocean. But, but this layer is, yeah, and it's very sustainable because it's uh, it's a pelagic uh, life source, and it's it's uh, something that we will probably use more in the future. Yeah. So we know we need more knowledge, uh, and um, Ocean Panel has, has said that we need to do more research, but we also need to disseminate that research and get the knowledge out to people. Because we need to, uh, to to hit their mind and their heart so that they take better care of the ocean. And that's where we come in. And as you have seen today, uh, we are we are doing a very good job here to to give an experience to all the visitors. But the technological part of this firm is is very old. Uh, if you walk, I don't know if you can took you behind the yes, scenes. Yes. Uh, and if you walk behind the scenes on uh, the, the rotunda, uh, it is. It's a time travel, and mm -hmm. it's rusty, and it's old, and it's filled with salt water, and it uh, leaks. Mm -hmm. And we know that it's way over the expansion of this building. So we have been working for many years to um, create something new, create the World Ocean Center, uh, something that is really, really important for the sea globally, that uh, also kind of mirrors the, the level of competence that are in uh, Norway and Bergen in particular, mm -hmm. which is extremely high. It is. Uh, Bergen is the, is, is the city in the world with the highest density of, of ocean researchers. Really? In the world, yeah. Absolutely. It has uh, uh, per, per capita or per uh, yeah. people. Uh, it's also, in Europe, it's the city that produces most research points on ocean research, uh, not depending on uh, how many people that live here. And that it's not that a big city, 270,000-ish. Uh, uh, and uh, that is um, uh, compared even to cities like London, Paris, uh, Lisbon. It is a really, really strong city on research. And we need a place where people can also see the research, uh, a, a place that can disseminate to people, yeah. to visitors, to people that live here. And somebody that takes a global role on, on the dissemination part. That is kind of the, the main task that we're working on. Yeah. Where we are going to build a new ocean center, one kilometer in that direction. It's called the Dokken. 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 Yeah. 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 And that is a city development area where there is a harbor today uh, and where some of the harbor functions will still remain, but uh, a lot of them will also move and it will be a kind of a hundred year possibility for a city to, to develop. Uh, a very big and also very central part of the of the city, uh, and turn that into houses uh, and to businesses and to uh, this new world ocean uh, center. That is uh, that is uh, ongoing. Uh, just before you came in here, uh, I sent out uh, a politician from one of the parties in uh, the city council here. And what we're working on at the moment is to to uh, apply for a uh, piece of land, take over a, a building that is still there. And if you see it, you will think, hmm, do you really want to build, uh, rebuild this building? But it is a very strong structure. Uh, the cement uh, kind of the skeleton of, of the building is uh, very usable, reusable. And in the circular world that we now enter into, it's important to take care of old buildings. Yeah. And this building, of course, it's going to be look totally different, and the outside of it is going to be changed. But the construction is very strong, and it should be, uh, and it also contains a 
historical uh, part that is important to take care of. And we think for our project that this, this building is kind of similar to the, the firm in Monterey where they rebuilt yeah, a yeah. sardine factory. Yep. This is a similar thought, but it's another type of building. We plan to send our application uh, this fall and that it can be go through the municipality very quickly. Uh, because we need to also tang along to our neighbor here because they are moving. Mm -hmm. They they have a project already on a national basis uh, and they are now discussing the piece of land that they want to buy down uh, at Dokken. And uh, we cannot stay here alone because the, the technical systems are integrated with them. And we have a very strong connection to the US uh, on this project. We have a strong collaboration with uh, an aquarium and an ecotarium in San Francisco called yes. Bay Ecotarium and uh, they have been uh, supporting us and doing uh, consulting on the project and we are going to travel over to, to the US in October and, uh, and visit them and also travel to Monterey and see the aquarium mm -hmm. and, and also the there's a research institute in, in Monterey yep. also yep. that we want to visit. So I know you've said in some of your literature that as you move to your new place and become old <laughs> um, that you're trying to uh, pull in a number of industries and interests, for example, academic, mm. uh, and I don't know if you're doing any combination with the fishing industry or, or in, in other words, there's a lot of, you're mm. putting a lot of partners on board that from a science point of view and a use point of view, is that right? Yes. Um, we have a lot of projects already, but they are not very big in size. Yeah. Uh, at the moment, we have a few uh, one has just been uh, finished. That was a project uh, that uh, tested out uh, biodegradable plastic in mm -hmm. a new way that are degraded by bacteria on yep. the seabed, not just natural sea water from mm -hmm. the ocean outside here. Uh, but we want to be sure that what we build is interesting for the academics. They need a place to show their uh, science. They need also to have projects that are actually ongoing, yes. visible for people. Right. They also need a place to maybe have some wet labs with, uh, where people uh, can do citizen science. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, they need places where they can uh, showcase their science. They need a, a place that has facilities to uh, talk about the research and also maybe restaurants combined with it, uh, wardrobes, uh, maybe some social space where you can where you can have a uh, marine environment at the same time. Hmm. There are many uses that both academia, uh, schools, children. Uh, the concept we have today is it's, it's okay, but it's when we com compare it to to other knowledge center around the world, it is more combined into the kind of public school. There are teachers working for the aquarium in. Uh, Atlanta, Georgia. They have, I think, they have around three thousand people uh, from schools every day around the year. And it's not the teachers that travel there with the kids that have the lectures. It's the aquarium. We have also collaboration or, or discussions with culture, both on the uh, on art. Uh, if if there should be a part of this building that can show, could be a room that can show art in a specific way. Mm. We want also it to be a a place, kind of a. Storstue in Norwegian, a place where you can have uh, concerts, uh, meetings with uh, high-level meetings, where it might be the kind of cinema uh, room that has 700 seats. 
We're discussing with a project called Ocean Innovation Showroom, which is a uh, business project where the different uh, Norwegian ocean businesses can show their technology and show what they're doing, especially on targeting uh, green development and, and how they can mm. work with ocean wind, with uh, hydrogen projects, etc., uh, uh, etc. Et we think that it could be smart to combine it with this project so that it can be used for for the public at all times when it's not that visit. So you can just convert it to a where you can show the, the, the technology that you want to kind of showcase to the world. So there are many different uh, options. Uh, there have been also people uh, approaching us for a showroom for uh, salmon farming. Yeah. Um, yeah. We have not um, um, decided what we want. There is already one in Bergen. Uh, yeah. So we, we don't know if that is something that we should include into this building. But uh, um, if it should be included, it should be uh, with a company that is... Uh, extremely focused on uh, on uh, sustainability uh, there is it's a very important uh, it's, it's extremely important to to um, find ways to live from the ocean but it needs to be sustainable uh, yes. and that is uh, that is important for us so that uh, if we get into some kind of uh, agreement with a commercial actor uh, it has to be very very strict we yes. will not be uh, used by somebody to uh, to um, uh, show something that is not sustainable yeah. but we, we, we can see movement uh, within many branches and see that uh, the competence that we have in Norway built on basically oil and gas uh, and also yeah. different types of uh, industries uh, can easily be converted into new industries and industries that are less dangerous for the world uh, mm-hmm. So that is uh, what I can see from kind of a more broader perspective. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm. Yeah, I was going to ask about, we're from Seattle, Seattle Aquarium. They have a lot of programs that are outside the aquarium, like yep. a beach naturalist, mm-hmm. that, and they bring the school kids to the tide zone, yep. and uh, or they go to the schools with a, a kit yep. of stuff. Yep. Um, it, do you do the, any of that now? Or? Yeah, we do, uh, we do a bit of that now. Uh, Joachim, as we just met, he is one of the uh, one of our colleagues that travel out to schools quite a lot. Uh, and the main focus has been plastic. Uh, that is uh, mm-hmm. one thing that we have been yeah. lecturing a lot about. But also, um, we are present at uh, many different public kind of get-togethers, especially in Bergen, but also all the places. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When there are seafood uh, ah. gatherings in Bergen we are there we, we what we do often there is that uh, we learn learn people about fish we desiccate fish mm-hmm. uh, fish that are uh, bycatch yes. uh, that we have gotten from the research institute when they do the research we, we get some of the bycatch here and then we show that to kids so that they can touch it uh, and uh, be close to the element and uh, not be afraid to touch uh, a fish we also do ocean cleaning uh, we have at least one day a year we do have an aquarium beach cleaning day that yeah. we take uh, school kids and kindergarten kids out and mm-hmm. some of our employees are kind of film stars because they have been on TV programs for ma- in many many times mm-hmm. we had a, a TV program that followed aquarium for many years and they are public fig- figures for kids mm-hmm. so when they can be yes. out there and uh, be with the kids and pick uh, plastic from beaches that is uh, we have some projects related to the future now 
where we also want to give experiences for uh, free diving. We're talking and, and discussing with uh, a museum that is out on the island outside here. Have you envisioned a time frame? We have. We have said that uh, we can fund it and build it and have it ready in five years. It's optimistic, but uh, I don't yeah. have any good reason not to be optimistic. They have started the development of this part of Bergen. We need to keep up with our neighbors because we cannot stay alone out here. It's going to be too costly for us. And, uh, and uh, it's not possible to see to develop this area if we stay out here and they kind of just move into Dokken. So, um, uh, and that project is a state-funded uh, project. Uh, it has its uh, progress, and pr non, uh, or if you, you have lack of progress, it costs a lot of money in yes. a pro project like that. Right. Mm. So we have said five years, and we have the link between what has been for 62 years and what we're going to build is very strong. Mm. Uh, even though we're not going to build an aquarium, <laughs> we're going to build something much bigger than that bigger than that uh, we're going to build something that maybe you can, could have called it uh, ecotarium or oceanarium or whatever mm. but nice. uh, the, the name aquarium uh, in these days are a bit limiting yes uh, you think about the fish in a bowl and uh, yeah. it is not too enough futuristic to because what we are going to build something that can last for 100 years mm. we cannot build something that is already uh, passé yeah. when, uh, when we open it yeah. So we have given it another name, and that has uh, that has been a big public uh, competition with the jury, where the minister of uh, knowledge was in the jury, and also an American actually, a fellow called George Jacob that has uh, developed uh, more than a hundred museums around the world. Mm. And we have chosen Verdenshavscenter um, O, uh, which is the World Ocean Center O, mm. and uh, there is many good reasons for that. It's uh, we're looking forward to be able to to create it now. Okay, so, it okay. was very nice to meet you. So I have to say I heard a focus that was realistic. It was matter of fact. The talk included both the fun facts but also the hard stuff, how hard it is to raise money, the challenge of getting people together to go in to help the aquarium be realized. But also uh, Joaquin was careful in highlighting a way out a way that we can be better stewards of the ocean and indirectly the land and the air. Mr. Sverdrup is definitely in it for the long game. It takes a huge amount of energy and resolve, which I admire. He's certainly the right person to be pushing this challenging project forward, lead to policy in Norway, but also hopefully globally. We don't have time for a song in this podcast, so instead I'll recommend you listen to the Scandinavian Hour Music Variety Show this coming weekend. It's streamed every Saturday at 6 a.m. and 9 a.m. Pacific. The host, Seth Tuftelon, plays a wide variety of folk, jazz, 70 dance bands, choral numbers, even Western music from Iceland to Finland to expatriates in the USA. Our intro music is Morton Alfred Hoyrup's lovely Ingela's Waltz, played with him on guitar and Ruthie Dornfeld on fiddle. Both of them have websites, and you can even buy the sheet music for the waltz, along with other compositions from Hoyrup's website. He's at mortonalfred, all one word, lowercase, dot com. Catch our interview with him in Nordic on Tap episode number one. Our exit music is composed and performed by Daryl Jackson at Daryl Jackson Music, all one word, dot com, 
who we also interviewed on our podcast. Check that out too. Finally, please visit our website, nordicontap.com, to get the fullest experience of every podcast episode, where links to associated websites and documents and papers and cool photographs are posted. And do feel free to leave a comment if you liked the episode or if you didn't like the episode. Don't forget to take our survey. It only takes 15 minutes, and I will write you back personally if you choose to give me your email address. And so, Viseas Nestegon. We'll see you again next time on Nordic on Tap. Hade Gott.